0: Good morning and welcome to the Morning Briefing for Thursday, October 18th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame, and coming up on today's show, we have two of the big VSOs on the show today. First, we're going to talk to the veterans of Forum Wars, Lynn Rolf. He's a program manager there, and we're going to have a special guest alongside him in Amanda Palm. Amanda is communications director for Sport Clips. That's where I get my haircut. It's where a lot of guys do because it's kind of a genius idea. You've got a barbershop, you put sports up on the wall on the TV, men will flock to it. They were right. And you know who founded it? A Vietnam veteran. Air Force C-130 pilot. Because of that, he's been very involved with the veteran community and used Sport Clips as a vehicle to raise money for veterans' causes. Right now, they've got the Help a Hero program with the VFW, so we're going to talk to Lynn and Amanda about that, what it's doing for veterans, how it's helping veterans get their educations. We're talking millions of dollars. They're hoping to raise well over a million dollars this year alone. It's going to be a really fascinating interview, and you're going to hear in this interview Sport Clips is a company You know, a big franchised corporation and everything that's doing it right when it comes to starting a a way to give money to the veteran community. So not surprising that the founder of the company is a veteran himself. He's also an MIT graduate and all sorts of other stuff. We're going to have him on the show coming up soon. Don't you worry about that. I know you want to hear from him. Well, guess what? You're going to. We're going to make that happen. Sport Clips has already said, like, yeah, we think that'd be awesome. And apparently he's uh, in the area of our studios every once in a while. So we'll see when that happens. And then my former defense information school classmate, Joseph Q. Chinelli. I don't think that's his real middle initial, but it sounds kind of cool. He is a Marine Corps veteran who is currently the executive director of AMVETS. Good morning, Jennifer, a.k.a. Mom. Uh, Joe is the executive director of AMVETS, and uh, he joins us every Thursday. And we're going to talk about the latest and greatest issues that AMVETS is focused on coming up after that VFW and Sport Clips interview. So a good Thursday show and Just to give you an update, for those of you watching on Facebook Live, you get to hear this first, so breaking news, kind of. I already mentioned it yesterday. Uh, I won't be here tomorrow. My uh, wife is out of town, so I have to drop the little guy off at school, and then he's got a doctor's appointment in the morning and all sorts of stuff. So uh, the morning briefing will return on Monday, and we've already got some great interviews lined up for next week. In fact, I'm going to be talking to a four-star active duty general today, and we'll play that one for you. Well, probably on Monday. So, yeah, we got a lot coming up for you on the morning briefing, but that does not include a show on Friday this week. Again, we will not be going tomorrow. In fact, you'll hear this show again tomorrow. So if it's now the future on Friday and you're hearing me, hello, how are things in the future? Good, I hope. (laughs) All right, let's move over to take a look at the headlines and look at the news. There are... A lot of people who serve in the military and then move on to the first responder community. We're talking firefighters. We're talking police officers. We're talking EMTs. There are a high number of people who have served in both. One such person is Don Pritchard. He retired from the Marine Corps. He uh, was a paramedic who rescued people at Ground Zero during the September 11th attacks. This is an American hero. Now he needs his own hero. My old working place, 1010 Winds in New York City, is reporting that Don is one of the people that breathed in all that toxic dust that spread through the air when the buildings collapsed on September 11th. And because of that, they believe it may have contributed to the fact that he is now at the age of only 53 in the final stages of kidney failure. Tom Pritchard believes that he developed the disease because of his work at the uh, World Trade Center and is desperately searching for a kidney donor. He doesn't have a lot of time left. His daughter, Kaylee, uh, has joined her parents in their search for a matching donor, saying that she said, I love my dad a lot. Hey, good morning, Jen. How are you doing today? Great to have you here. Uh, You know, this is uh, a, a rough story, man, a very rough story. This is someone served in the Marine Corps and retired and then continued to serve afterwards as a paramedic, Including right there on the ground at Ground Zero on September 11th, now facing kidney failure. Again, he believes it's coming from a lot of the, uh, uh, the toxic stuff that was in the air as the World Trade Center came down. Um, he needs help. So if, you know, if you have the ability, reach out. You can uh, go to our website. The story's up on there. They've got video from 1010 wins and other places. Um, that are up there, and it is, uh, it's is—it's a rough story. And he's a guy who now doesn't have a lot of time left. Hey, maybe one of us can help him. Maybe somebody can help this Marine get what he needs to get to keep on living his life up there in New York. But it's, uh, it's interesting, that cross-section between the military and first responder community, particularly people who retire. We have a friend of the family named Steve. He was a senior chief in the United States Navy. He retired, and then he went into law enforcement. And some of us, I think, like me, think, man, you've already served for over 20 years and now you're going to continue on serving. That just shows uh, the true desire that some people have to help their fellow Americans. Uh, it, it's it's greater than mine. You know, I don't think I could do it. I watch the show Live PD on Friday and Saturdays, uh, every Friday and Saturday night. It's on in our house and do not call us during that show or you will uh, be persona non grata from that point forward. We watch that every Friday and Saturday night, and I watch what police officers have to deal with, and my God, is it ridiculous. I mean, they're dealing with crazy people. They're dealing with evil people. They're dealing with stupid people, and more often than anything, I think, they're dealing with intoxicated people. Someone who has to deal with the day-in, day-out nonsense that comes along with all the good stuff of serving in the military and then continues to do it afterwards as an officer, as a firefighter, or as an EMT who are dealing with even more drunken, intoxicated people, I, I, man, I give them more respect than just about anybody else out there in the veteran community. Honestly, if you leave the military, which we all know is an unforgiving job, and you decide to go into an even more unforgiving job— where you are serving your fellow Americans on a day-to-day basis, even more so than those in the military. Because let's be honest, when you're on a deployment, if you're a infantry or something like that in Afghanistan, Iraq, wherever you may be, okay, you're doing it every day. Most of the time, and in fact, most of most people's careers, you're back on the base. You're training in the United States. Police officers, man. Firefighters, man. EMTs, they're doing the real thing each and every day. And they're doing their training as well. Imagine that. Imagine if there were no military deployments. You were just one day, you had training on the range on Monday, and then on Tuesday, you were going out on patrol in, uh, you know, wherever, North Carolina or whatever. It's, it's crazy what they do and deserving of a lot of respect. And it's a big part of why Vet Ticks, if you didn't hear the interview, they made an announcement. They've launched First Ticks which is essentially the same program as VetTix, but now open to first responders for that very reason, for the service that they do to our country and, of course, that cross-section of veterans and first responders. So if you haven't heard of VetTix, you can go there, and if you are a veteran or a Gold Star family or currently serving in the military... You can go through ID me and you get uh, confirmed as a veteran. Then you get access to this lottery system where you get a certain number of coins every month. You put them in for events that you want to go to is kind of a, uh, like a lottery or like a jackpot or something like that. And you can win those tickets and you end up paying a $15 handling fee. I've used it once. I was actually thinking of using it again for this upcoming weekend. There's an event I had to go. I wanted to go to, and then I realized I had something else on my calendar. Um, $15, $15 I paid for four tickets to go see some MMA fights that would have cost us like $350. Vet ticks is the veteran version, and now First ticks is the first responder version. And if you are both a veteran and a first responder, take your pick. I guess you can use either one of them. One man that we know is eligible for Vet ticks, and honestly, I think if he signed up for it, they might even waive that $15 handling fee, is John Canley. Sergeant Major, United States Marine Corps, retired. He was awarded the Medal of Honor yesterday by President Trump. He's an 80-year-old retired Marine Corps Sergeant Major. Got that for valorous action in Vietnam five decades ago. What did he do to earn that medal? Well, he twice scaled a hospital wall in view of the enemy to help wounded Marines and carry them to safety. Uh Canley is a native of Caledonia, Arkansas, lives in California now, fought off multiple enemy attacks over several days in 1968 while his company moved towards Way City as part of a counteroffensive to retake the city from the North Vietnamese and Viet Cong forces. Here's what the president had to say at the ceremony. He assaulted enemy strongholds, killed enemy fighters, and with deadly accuracy did everything he had to do. He raced into heavy machine gun fire on many occasions, all to save his fellow Marines. In one harrowing engagement after another, John risked his own life to save the lives of those under his command. Canley took over the operations of the unit as Sergeant Major because his commanding officer was severely wounded in the battle to retake Way City. The time had, at the time, the city had 6,000 communist fighters defending it. John Canley was one of the Marines who went in there. Uh, of course, that's a battle that we've seen immortalized in many movies. Full Metal Jacket is the first one that comes to mind. Uh, the, some of the Marines' heaviest fighting was in the fighting for Hue City, uh, which came um, you know in 1968, it's basically when that took place, uh, after the Tet Offensive is uh, when that all kicked off. So, yeah, you know, there are... Quite a few of these stories that have popped up lately of people who years and years later have been issued a medal that they were clearly deserving of. I mean, you find someone who says John Canley didn't deserve the Medal of Honor, and I'll find you someone who just doesn't like John Canley, I'm going to guess. When you read the background of what he did, again, just like people who become police officers after retiring from the military, it's kind of difficult to put yourself in those shoes. Could you do it? That's a... That's a whole different question than would you do it. I mean, would you do it is, yeah, I I would try to save my fellow Marines, sailors, soldiers, airmen. I would, but could you? Could you climb the wall of a hospital twice like John Canley did? I don't know. Could you go out there and brave machine gun fire to get to them over and over again? And, of course, this is another story that brings to mind a recent one that we talked about, which is kind of silly to me. This man, at 80 years old, doesn't appear to have been lobbying for the Medal of Honor himself. Uh, I'm sure there were other people who were. I mean, things like this don't usually happen just because somebody in the military goes, oh, well, never seen this guy's service jacket before. What's in there? There's usually someone who believes that this person should be receiving it, oftentimes people in their unit. But if you were listening last week, you heard the story that we told you about of uh, a woman who was a soldier. She lives down in Florida now, down in the Jacksonville area who after being in a convoy that came under assault uh, and firing back at the enemy, as is the good thing to do when you're in a convoy that comes under assault, she was told by someone like, hey, we're going to put you in for the Bronze Star. Because of that, and we don't have many details on who it is that said to her, we're going to put you in for the Bronze Star, or if uh, we can verify that anyone ever did put her in for the Bronze Star, um, she has now started a campaign to get herself awarded the Bronze Star. Like she went on news, the TV news down in Jacksonville, Florida, talking about how she deserves the Bronze Star. That's not the way that's supposed to work for any of those higher medals. When you're talking about the Bronze Star and even more so, you know, the Silver Star, Navy Cross. uh, Of course, I'm a sailor. That's the one I'm going to go to. And the Medal of Honor. There is a process for it, and the process doesn't include you walking around going, hey, hey, I should have gotten the Bronze Star. I should have gotten the Silver Star. This guy, John Canley, this Marine, this Sergeant Major, how dare I just call him this guy? I don't think he'd like that very much. He is uh, a great example of someone who, again, doesn't seem to have really pushed for himself to be given this award, but is proud to have received it. And like a Marine should, and like this sailor certainly would not, John Canley fit into his uniform for that Medal of Honor ceremony. I actually saw on social media yesterday uh, some tweets from DC types. Of course, we're in Washington, D.C. That's uh, construction behind us where they're building up the southeast section of the city. It's kind of crazy and difficult to find parking. Thankfully, we have a garage in the building. But I saw a lot of social media posts from people who got to attend that ceremony, whether they were staffers on Capitol Hill, media types, Saying that it was one of the most incredible Medal of Honor ceremonies they've ever been to. And the reason why is that his people were there. What do I mean by his people? His Marines. They had a room full of Marines, all about 80 years old, just bringing bringing the moto, as the Marines like to say. They were motivated Marines, a lot of them in uniform, apparently just a really, really great situation over there, something I wish I could have gone to, but I have yet to get to one. And Karina tells us on Facebook Live, there are some people that are way out there in their own world in Jacksonville. Karina, I lived in Jacksonville for three years. I could not agree with you more about Jacksonville, but... This is the first time I've ever seen someone try to promote themselves on civilian media to get an award from the military. Also, it's like from seven, eight years ago. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand it. But yeah, Jacksonville is its own special type of crazy. Yeah, it absolutely is. All right, let's move on to the next story here. And here is another uplifting story. After that 80-year-old Marine Corps Sergeant Major, retired John Canley, fit into his uniform for his Medal of Honor ceremony... We've got a triple amputee Army paratrooper summiting Mount Kilimanjaro. Our Matt Saintsing has the story there on ConnectingVets.com and Adam Keyes is 34 years old. He's also a triple amputee. IED rocked his vehicle in Zabul Province in southeastern Afghanistan in July of 2010. He spent the next five years recovering and learning how to live with the new reality of requiring prosthetics on both of his legs and left arm. He tells Connecting Vets, my hospital stay started in a dark place. I was in the hospital for a long, long time. Walking was a significant obstacle. I mean, figuring out how to walk again. Try to think about what that's like. But he did it. And now he's continued walking and even climbing. He has decided, well, he did decide, to tackle Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, and he made it up to the top. That's pretty incredible. I don't know if I could do that, and I've got no excuse. That's the thing. When you think when you hear about guys like Adam or like our friend Rob Jones who's run 31 marathons in 31 days in 31 cities and who's also, you know, traveled uh um uh, uh, biked across the country, I should say, biked across the country from Maine to San Diego and did it in the wintertime. Anyone ever been to Maine in the wintertime? I'm from the southern part of New England, and it's miserable there in the wintertime. You go up to Maine, but when you see people like Adam and Rob, talk about motivation. I mean, yes, it'll make you feel kind of bad about yourself at times. You're like, oh, man, I was complaining about taking the garbage out last night, and this guy climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with three prosthetics on him, or this other guy ran 31 marathons in 31 days in 31 cities on two prosthetic legs, and I can't be bothered to go out and throw out the trash because the dumpster's 50 yards away? Yeah. I try to think about things like that whenever I'm complaining about the little things that I go through in life, and sometimes I do, other times I don't. But when I see things like this, man, it's truly, truly inspirational, and I think it's great that it inspires Of course, us veterans, it inspires uh, their fellow amputees, but it also, I think, inspires civilians to realize, like, hey, you don't need to cry for us. You don't need to think, like, oh, no, he lost his legs. He lost his arms. Well, life is over. Life's not over. Life is just different. A lot different, granted, but different. Rob Jones is living one heck of a life. I know that for a fact. Yeah, there are difficult days, but he's living one heck of a life and loving most of what he does. Adam Keyes? Climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. What? How did he feel after getting to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, though? Well, he says overwhelmed. He said he was bawling his eyes out. Couldn't believe it. And, quote, it was an incredible feeling walking up there. It was breathtaking and certainly life-changing for me. Not surprising. I mean, yeah, you've got to think. That's got to be incredibly life-changing. And for those of you wondering exactly how high Uhuru Peak, which is the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, is... 1,000, no, sorry, 19,341 feet above sea level. 2,000 feet just about, 19,341. That's uh, 5,895 meters for some of our uh, European and other metric-using friends out there. In fact, saw one of my uh, Bundeswehr buddies on there just earlier checking us out on Facebook Live. Hey, did you know we do a Facebook Live segment every morning? Yep, at 7.15, even though this segment airs at 8.15 at ConnectingBets.com. listen. The recording of it is at 7.15, and we put that on social media each and every day, Monday through Friday, except for this week. We will not be uh, broadcasting tomorrow because I have some personal stuff i got to take care of, so I will not be in the studio. Um, My apologies for that. One last story I want to get to. This is kind of an interesting one. So Fox News is reporting that a decorated Vietnam veteran, who's also a firearms collector, has been sentenced to seven years in federal prison. Just sentenced yesterday, and why? It's because he bought a rifle. He bought a rifle almost 40 years ago. In the early 1980s, Alfred Pick, who's now 70 years old, purchased an M14. It's a fully automatic weapon, which means it's illegal to own unless you have a very specific license from the ATF, right? Bought it at a gun show in Fort Worth in the early 1980s, It was already illegal back then. I mean, automatic weapons have been illegal since the 1930s. I mean, basically after uh, mobsters were using the Tommy gun and the bar. uh, That's the Browning automatic rifle. They were made illegal because of those incidents that we had taking place back then. But you still have people that were selling things, even though they shouldn't have been. And this one clearly shouldn't have been sold. It had a scratched off serial number. Mm. And the M14 is a military style weapon probably came from the military if you uh, if you think about it, and that's probably why the serial number was scratched off. Whether the government sold it off, whether someone who was serving sold it off, who knows? And that does happen. I was on the USS Saipan when two young sailors decided they were going to steal uh, flak jackets and try to sell them to drug dealers in the Hampton Roads uh, Maryland area. Well, thankfully, the drug dealers they tried to sell them to were actually undercover federal agents, so they got busted, but things like that do happen. So, Here's why pick wanted the M 14 He says it's similar to the one that he used when he was in Vietnam. He was a Lieutenant in Vietnam over a hundred combat missions. And yeah, when you hear decorated veteran, we all know that the media sometimes gets that wrong. They'll be like, "Whoa, he's got a good conduct medal in the national defense service. He's decorated. If that guy's decorated, then I'm, I'm, I'm a medal of honor <laughs> recipient. You know, it's one of those things. When you look at those, um, this guy actually was. He's a Silver Star recipient. Received the Silver Star for his actions in Vietnam. Saved lives. Uh, did a lot of good things. According to one of his friends, Mark shackleford here's a good quote. The man is a Silver Star winner. Saved lives. Took care of his wife. He's been in custody for a year. I would think that when a man turns 70 and is an American hero, you don't destroy the rest of his life for one mistake. So he had a big weapons collection, and his friend uh, is very open about that weapons collection, said, yeah, I've seen it. In fact, I've seen the weapon, which apparently Pitt called the piece de resistance of his weapons collection. He'd shown it to Shackelford, but he had never seen it out of the case never used it anywhere, never did anything with it. Um, His attorney, again, said he had a connection to the rifle because it was the same type that he had used in Vietnam. Um, Dozens of weapons in his collection, mostly collectible ones over the years. Well, last year, Mr. Pick's wife passed away from cancer. Two weeks later, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives raided his Plano, Texas house looking for that weapon. They found it. So clearly, someone who saw it told people about it. ATF went in there and found the weapon, uh, which he had had, again, since the early 80s when he bought it. Had never used it anywhere, never done anything wrong with it, was a collector, and was arrested and has now been sentenced to seven years for owning this illegal firearm. It's it's, It's a difficult case. It was illegal. And it had a scratched-off serial number, which, as a firearms expert, he certainly would have known was a gigantic red flag. A real, real big one. So did he still go through with it? Yeah. Was it illegal? Yeah. Seven years for it for someone who clearly never intended to use it in any sort of negative way? This isn't someone who got caught the day after he bought it where you have no idea what they were going to do with it. This is someone who almost four decades had passed since he bought it And he never used it in any way and never took it out of the case, according to his friends. Um, I mean, I understand the letter of the law, but the letter of the law, it's, it's, eh, eh, you know, is that the spirit of the law? For a Vietnam veteran and Silver Star recipient who owned the weapon for almost four decades, kept it locked up the whole time. Is that who that law was intended to target? No, absolutely not. However, it is a law. There's not typically gray areas on these laws. I, I find it upsetting that he's going to have to do seven years, um, but I understand why. It's one of those ones that's got me a bit torn. I mean, you can't have certain weapons. They're illegal. That's just the way that it is. This is one of them. Again, he's a firearms expert and a scratched-off serial number. He knew what it was. He never reported or or registered it with anyone or told the the police about this weapon because it was illegal when he bought it. He knew that it was. Um, Seven years is a long dang time, though. Hopefully, he'll be up for some sort of parole early on, and you would assume a guy like that is not going to get into too much trouble in prison. Although, Silver Star recipient from Vietnam is pretty much a badass, so I hope nobody tries to mess with him while he's in prison And I do hope that he gets out uh, before seven years. He's already been in custody for a year. They raided his house right after his wife died. Just a negative story. I think uh, the time that he's done already, he probably learned his lesson. Also, he's 70-plus years old at this point. Does he need to learn any more lessons? I don't know. I don't know. It's a rough one. This, not a rough show. It's a good show. Coming up next, we're going to talk to the VFW and Sport Clips about the Help a Hero Scholarship program. Later on in the show, Joe Schinelli, executive director of AMVETS, is going to be here with us. Well, on the phone with us, and he's going to tell us about everything AMVETS is currently focusing on. It's the morning briefing from ConnectingVETS.com. I'm your host, Eric Damon. and we will be back right after this. Welcome back to the morning briefing from Entercom Radio's ConnectingBets.com. Connecting Bets Every Day is our slogan, and it's what we do, and I'll tell you why we do it. It's because each and every member of our team knows what it's like to have put that uniform on, and just as importantly, to have taken it off that last time or to have been the child of someone serving in the military or the spouse of someone serving in the military. We're coming at it from all angles and creating all sorts of content for you. You can find it at ConnectingVets.com or by following us on social media where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Still working on getting the MySpace page up. As soon as Tom gets back to us, we'll let you know. But in the meantime, it's time to talk to some fabulous guests. We're being joined by one organization that we've had on the show Oh, I don't know, 60, 70 times, something like that. And another organization that is a first time guest here on the morning briefing. I'm speaking of the VFW. We're joined by their program manager, Lynn Rolfe, and also Sport Clips. Amanda Palm, their communications manager, is live in studio with us. Amanda, Lynn, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Good morning. Thanks for having us.
0: It's great to have you here in person, Lynn, after talking to you on the phone before and all that good stuff. But What we're here to talk to you guys about today is the Sport Clips Help a Hero program. From October 15th, so just a couple days ago, through Veterans Day, November 11th, Sport Clips locations around the country want you to help them help a hero by donating to the VFW Sport Clips Help a Hero Scholarship Program. Now, last year, during the 2017 campaign period, they raised an impressive $1.25 million for the VFW through donations from clients and product partners and community events at the nearly 1,800 Sport Clips locations around the country. And to date, they have awarded more than 1,100 scholarships and provided $4.9 million in those scholarships. Amanda, those are impressive numbers. But let's go back to the beginning of Help a Hero. Where did this program come from and why was it important for Sport Clips to get involved with helping veterans, uh, you know, get those scholarships and get their education?
1: So our founder, Gordon Logan, is an Air Force veteran. He flew C-130s and veteran causes have already, always been very important to him. And so this was something back in 2007 um, as, a, as a life member of the VFW and someone who is very active with the VFW We originally started this um, as a program called Operation Uplink, which was an opportunity for us to provide phone calls home for service members who were stationed overseas, who were perhaps under medical recovery, who needed to get connected to their family members. And as we know, back in 2007, we didn't quite have the technology that we did today. uh, And so those, those phone calls were very important to connect those folks back home to the people who they cared about. After about six or so years in 2013, um, we started to see a drawdown in troops, technology improved, so the need for those phone calls and those calling cards wasn't necessarily as important, and we realized that we could do more as a company. And so Gordon and some of the folks at Sport Clips went to the VFW and said, what can we do? Where is there a need? And the scholarship program was developed and has has steadily grown since 2013 when it was officially launched, and we awarded our first round of scholarships in 2014.
0: Lynn, how excited was the VFW to get involved in a program like that with such a successful company? I mean, in full disclosure, I'm a Sport Clips client. I go to the Elkridge, Maryland location, Probably not often enough. I think I need to hit it again to get my haircut and my MVP uh, scalp massage and all that good stuff that comes along with it. But uh, what did the VFW think when Sport Clips first came to you guys and said, hey, we, we want to help. How can we do it? How great was it to have uh, such a successful big company that happens to be led by a life member come to you guys looking to help? Oh, we were blown away. There was no doubt
2: because um, we weren't involved in that world. Of uh, student vets at the time and it was a great opportunity for both of us to pull all of our resources together and step up and uh, take care of those student vets that were transitioning out chasing new opportunities and being able to uh, extend the uh, commitment to them.
0: Amanda when it comes to working with the the Corporate world, the for-profit businesses like Sport Clips and then the VSOs like the VFW, they often operate differently and there can be difficulties in, in communicating and in partnership. What is the partnership with the VFW been like from the Sports Clips perspective?
1: It has been nothing but positive. Uh, we have a, a great relationship. We work very well together. I think the way we built out the program uh, was, was very smart in that you know sport clips came to them and we wanted to do this so we took on the responsibility of being the fundraisers and so we through our stores through our product partners through these campaigns every year we raise the funds those are provided directly to the VFW Foundation and then we let the VFW handle all of the scholarship uh, applications selecting the recipients and and all of that part of it so the way we broke things out I think makes a lot of sense and it's been nothing but, you know, positive uh, for for both of us, but also for the thousand plus veterans we've been able to help.
0: Of course, Lynn, there are those people out there who say, oh, what does the VFW do for anybody? Those yeah. naysayers. They say the same thing about every VSO out there, particularly the big ones. The VFW does a lot. I'm, again, yep. full disclosure, a VFW member, John Post 1469 in Huntington Station, New York. Hey, Bruce, fellas, how you doing up there? Um there is a lot that the VFW does that people yeah. don't know about. And scholarships, that's just uh, perhaps one of the latest additions to right. the VFW's offerings. What are the programs that this Help a Hero uh, uh, scholarship program actually benefits within the VFW? This
2: fills uh, our gap in the uh, veteran and military support community that we have. Our programs from Amanda mentioned uh, Uplink, uh, Help a Hero scholarship, military assistance program where we adopt units to where our local posts can get out to those National Guard armories, reserve centers, and military installations, and um, show, show those currently serving what we do and how we can help their families. If anything ever comes up, and take, for instance, our Great That Needs Program, we can help financially. And then this scholarship really, being the largest student veteran scholarship in the world, um, no one else got a scholarship like this. That keeps giving, you know, once you get it, you keep applying, you can get it till you become a doctor, a lawyer and (laughs) anything else you want to do. As long as you're in school, you can keep getting the scholarship and no one else does that. It's, it's very remarkable that a company like Sporklips would step up and say, Hey, we want to help our military and, and they're living and breathing it.
0: Yeah. And it's it's important, too. A lot of people don't realize they think the GI Bill covers everything <clears> for <throat> veterans. As someone who went to school on the GI Bill, I went to a private university. It covered a portion of my tuition. It didn't cover the whole thing. I had academic scholarships that covered the rest of it, but there's some people out there who don't have those academic scholarships, don't qualify for them. It's really important to have these programs that can offset those college costs that a lot of people think veterans are getting the full free ride when that's not often the case, right. isn't it?
2: Yeah, and and, you know, in the GI Bill, the greatness of the GI Bill is a service member before they get out. You know, they could have transferred their GI Bill to their family members, help lessen the financial burden, also. And then all of a sudden, they're out, they're transitioning, and trying to figure out what they want to do. And then they say, "Okay, I want to, I want to become a lawyer, or I want to chase an engineering degree based on their MOS." But they don't have that GI Bill anymore, so the. You know, based on their financial need, we're able to step in and lessen that burden so they don't have to get that second, third job um, on top of going to school and then raising a family and chasing a career. This really uh, does an incredible job of changing uh, the stress associated with trying to figure out the finance side.
0: And while the GI Bill is a wonderful program, the new forever GI Bill is even better, uh, it's a finite benefit. There are a certain amount of months that you get and that there are programs like the Help a Hero program that we're talking to Sport Clips and the Veterans of Foreign Wars about today. Uh, It can be a lifesaver or at least an education and career saver for those veterans out there who may have exhausted their GI Bill benefits and want to go to, as you said, medical school, law school, grad school. There are other things. And, of course, just your regular bachelor's degree or your associates, whatever you're going for. It's something that can be a great benefit to the veteran community. Uh, We're speaking with Amanda Palm. She's a communications manager for Sport Clips. And Lynn Rolfe is a program manager at the VFW. Amanda, what's the response been from those franchise owners, the Sport Clips location owners, uh, being able to take part in a program like this?
1: The response is great that, you know, our teams get super excited when this time of year rolls around. They have they have embraced this cause, which is wonderful to see, because obviously it wouldn't be successful without their boots on the ground and the hard work that they're doing in the stores. And we have, uh, you know, we have teams who do everything from, host raffles in store to bake sales uh we just had a team who hosted a facebook live video on their page who was explaining that they're doing a uh, a raffle for a pie in the face Mm. and so if a if a client comes in and say they donate five dollars they would get five tickets that they could drop in a bucket to get a pie in the face for one of the other team members at the store and then they're going to host a big event at the end of the campaign to do these pies in the face which is kind of fun um they have done golf tournaments uh hosted events at country clubs, pretty much, you know, a lot of them do much more than just asking clients for donations. And that's what's really great to see. And especially in the communities where we have a large military presence or we've got military bases, um, those those, uh, stores especially really rally together to support this cause. And it's just, it's really good to see.
0: It absolutely is, and it's it's great to hear. I thought this program was more just like, hey, would you like to give a dollar to veterans when you check out, using the automated checkout mm-hmm. that I've used at Sport Clips so many times, to hear that the franchise owners and the crews at the Sport Clips locations are taking an extra step and actually having fun with it and trying to do things that might help out even more, that's got to feel good for the VFW to see that and see that this isn't just a you know tap to give a dollar on the screen, right, Lynn?
2: Yeah, the relationships that are being built between the stylists, the team leaders locally, VFWs, and the community in general, has been, you know, a second uh, benefit that we never would have expected. Not just engage in the community, but what we've seen is this company steps up and goes to ho- stand-downs, and they give haircuts to veterans that are out there that, you know, trying to get their life back together, and we're able to be a small part of that, and it's they're 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 living the. They're living the cause
0: 100%. And part of that has to come from the fact that Sport Clips, as you mentioned, was founded by a veteran, an Air Force pilot. That's something that I think a lot of Sport Clips customers probably don't know. It's obviously a cause that's uh, close to his heart. Uh, It's something that uh, is a big part of his identity. Uh, Do you think it would be helpful if more people did know that Sport Clips was created by a veteran? Or do you think he's happier to kind of keep it on a little bit more of the down low and run programs like this that help us all out?
1: On a personal level, Gordon Logan <laughs> is is quite humble, uh, it, which which is just one of the many wonderful things about him, and I think what makes him a very good leader and what makes people want to support these programs. Uh, but but on a on a business level, and obviously on a charitable level, which is what we're trying to do, we absolutely want people to know that that we are a veteran owned business. We promote it. We talk about it. Uh, Anybody in in the hair care industry or even in the franchising industry especially know that Gordon is an Air Force veteran. So we we are happy to spread the word about him and his service and the great things he does for veterans.
0: If people want to find out more about this program, specifically the Help a Hero Scholarship uh, donations that are taking place through Veterans Day that kicked off just a few days ago at Sport Clips, Is there some place they can go to find out more information on the program, either through the VFW or through Sport Clips, or to maybe even make a donation without going in for a haircut if they don't need one?
1: Yeah, absolutely. They can head to either of our websites, so sportclips.com or vfw.org. Information about the scholarship program is there. There is an online donation option, uh, but we really want people to come into the store. We want them to see what's happening in the store. We've got we crowdsourced our our creative this year, so every image that you see of the veterans in our social media pieces, in our commercial, in our signage that's in the store are actual scholarship recipients so we didn't hire actors we didn't go out and track down models we're using real live veterans real live people who have benefited from the scholarship and you're going to see their faces and their names in our stores so we really want people to go in the store get that mvp treat yourself to that haircut experience and if you're feeling generous you know throw us a little donation at the end and then another thing we're doing is on veterans day we do have participating locations around the country who are offering free haircuts for veterans on Veterans Day or active duty military. And then Sport Clips as a whole will donate $1 for every hair care service on Veterans Day. So that's an additional little chunk that will go toward the scholarship program.
0: Lynn, it sounds like Sport Clips is really setting the example for the other companies out there. We know there are a lot of companies who say that they support veterans then we try to figure out exactly how they're doing that. You kind of come up empty or you find some tiny little hiring program where they brought five people onto the team over the last 10 years or something like that. Would you like to see more companies taking this active approach like Sport Clips? As you said, they're living the cause. They're not just saying they support veterans. They're actually doing something to help us out.
2: Yeah, it's, Sport Clips definitely leading by example. It's, you can tell it's in their DNA from the owner, founders, uh, Gordon, and his story is incredible. Uh, really, would wish, you know, find a cause that lives your core values as a business, you know. And I know between the VFW, we can figure out a way that we can give back to veterans. So the potential is unlimited. Um, and take take an opportunity to learn about Sport Clips how we how we manage it. Hundred percent goes to the veterans. goes to veterans. Can't say that enough. There is no overhead cost. All 1.25 million, our goal is 1.5 this year, will go to a scholarship. Um,
0: Reach out. Yeah. Let us know. And, and Sport Clips, I mean, you guys are setting the example for other companies to follow. If there is someone who happens to be out there listening and saying, you know, I'd like to participate in something like that from the corporate side, what would you recommend that a company does as a first step? Is it as simple as just reaching out to the VFW or one of the other veterans organizations out there?
1: I think it can be. I think from a from a business perspective, like Lynn mentioned, you definitely want to make sure that your cause is, lines up with the core values of your business and with the mission of your business because ultimately you've got to have buy-in from your people and and if we didn't have 1800 stores and almost 1700 17, stylists around the country who believed in this program it wouldn't be successful so i would say from a business perspective figure out what you think you can do as a business and then yeah ha- come up with an idea or even if you don't have a fully fleshed out idea you know get something together and contact the vfw and say hey this is what we think we're capable of doing how can we make this work
0: is this a program that we expect to continue on in perpetuity or at least for the foreseeable future i mean i'm guessing 2018 isn't going to be the last year of the help a euro program definitely
1: not i mean you know we've been going strong since operation uplink started in 2007 and the scholarship program has been been doing nothing but growing since 2013 when it launched so i don't see it going anywhere you know we we award on average about 175, 180 scholarships each semester, but we have well over, what, 16, 600. 600 applicants. So we want to get to a point where, you know, we're awarding scholarships to every qualified applicant. And we're not able to do that right now just because we don't have the enough funds, um, which you think 1500000 million we're collecting this year. That seems like more than enough, but... Um, I think there's a lot more opportunity and don't see this going away. I see it just continuing to get bigger so we can continue to give more and more to veterans.
0: Sounds like a plan to me. And of course, Lynn, there are a number of programs, including scholarships, available at the VFW. For the vets out there listening uh, who are interested in that, where can they go to find out about the various programs that are available to vets looking to continue their education specifically?
2: Go to vfw.org backslash student veteran assistance, and we've got a great page everywhere from this incredible scholarship to our one student veteran program that will enable veterans. And I know we're seeing a lot of stuff with GI Bill problems, and we've stepped into the breach to be able to help those veterans get assistance and getting their actual payments done uh, through the VA. And then also, you know, if a student veteran applies for the GI Bill benefit and they get Take, for instance, 70% eligible for their GI Bill, but they know they've deployed and they know they're entitled to 100%. Our staff at the VFW right here in D.C. can reach out and touch the VA and get it fixed and get them 100% that they're entitled to.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of things that the VSOs can do for veterans. And those veteran service officers that are available at the VFW, American Legion, AMVETS, you don't have to be a member of those organizations to use those uh, veteran service officers. Highly recommend that you do. We've been speaking with Amanda Palm, Communications Manager for Sport Clips, and Lynn Rolfe, Program Manager at the Veterans of Foreign Wars, a.k.a. VFW. Amanda, what's the overall message that the Sport Clips team would like to give to the veteran community.
1: We care about you and we want to help you and help a hero is a huge part of our business. It's a huge part of what we do and giving back to veterans and um, you know, we, we want to support you as much as we can.
0: And if people want to find out more about Help a Hero, where can they go to do so, including can they just go into their local Sport Clips establishment and ask about it?
1: Absolutely. Walk into any Sport Clips right now through November 11th, and you're going to see Help a Hero creative and information in the store. You can talk to the stylist. You can talk to the manager there. They can tell you all about the program. Uh, Sportclips.com, tons of information there, or vfw.org.
0: I think I may be headed out for a haircut today after talking to you guys. It's got me, uh, you know, I think I need one anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, this is radio, so no one can tell me that That was a lie. Lynn, your hair is nice and closely cropped. I might need one, and when I do get a haircut, it's going to be at Sport Clips, and it's going to be uh, also giving through the Help a Hero program where, again, more than 1,100 scholarships so far have provided $4.9 million to veterans. This partnership between Sport Clips and the VFW, it's the kind of thing I'd like to see more of between okay. the veteran service organization world and the corporate world. And this is uh, perhaps the finest example I've seen so far. I want to thank Amanda Palm and Lynn Rolfe for joining us here on The Morning Briefing. Thank you so Thanks much. I hope you guys us. have thank a great you. day. You're listening to The Morning Briefing on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day right there on that website, ConnectingVets.com, and also on social media where we are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our thanks to the folks from the VFW and Sport Clips, Amanda and Lynn, coming in to tell us about this amazing Help a Hero program. And I'm serious. I do need a haircut, and I very well may be going to get one today. If not, tomorrow. I definitely am going to get one by the weekend. Yeah. All right, let's take a look back at the news. And those who are stationed at Tyndall Air Force Base, they've had a rough go of it since Hurricane Michael made landfall. Of course, Tyndall is located between Mexico Beach and Panama City on the Florida Panhandle. Took a direct hit from Hurricane Michael last week. Essentially, there are 11,000 airmen and family members stationed there. They were all evacuated the day before and they still haven't gone back. I mean, we're talking a couple weeks now, right? Well, they finally did let some of them go back to collect some belongings, survey the damage, and so on. Commanders and recovery workers have had to communicate with the evacuees via Facebook because, again, power's still out there. A lot of the phone lines down, a lot of really significant damage to the area. So the people who are coming back to collect their belongings and survey the damage, as we said, they have to follow some pretty stringent rules. So there's limited entry through Sunday. They started granting entry yesterday to the housing areas, and it's going to continue through Sunday. Suggestions to those coming include bringing water and food, safety gloves, goggles, and hard hats. You cannot bring your kids. You cannot bring your pets, and you're not going to get any help unless you got a buddy uh, you know that comes along with you or something like that. You are going to have to retrieve your belongings alone. The base is not able to provide any sort of assistance or services with that. And they say the area is still quite dangerous. And it seems obvious. I mean, if you look at what's been going on down there, uh, it's, it's dangerous all over the Florida Panhandle right now. For active-duty retirees, guard, and reserve members who live in the surrounding area, the Air Force is offering financial assistance to families affected by the hurricane. So you can go to the Air Force Aid Society. You know, they have a website, AFAS.org. That's the official charity of the Air Force. I mean, for us in the Navy and the Marines, we had Navy Marine Corps Relief Society. It's a similar thing. And then the Army has whatever the Army has. I'm not 100% sure. So it's not... Not a pretty sight on base, and you can find that out by going to our story, it's on the front page of connectingbets.com. We've actually got video that Tyndall Air Force Base posted, and it looks like well, it looks like a war zone. I mean, there are collapsed structures, there are uh, roads that have basically been smashed up and dug up. It is a, a rough one, man, and there's a lot of it all over that base. So, if you're stationed at Tyndall, you can go back without children, without pets, and bring your safety equipment, bring that uh, personal safety equipment, goggles, gloves, hard hats, and don't expect any help from anybody unless you have, again, friends that are going along with you that are stationed there as well. Uh, it's going to be a rough time. There are some numbers if you're stationed down there, you know someone who is, that you can call to get some uh, some answers to some questions you might have. The DSN number, boy, I haven't said that in a long time, six six five zero one zero two. 102 Commercial number two one zero five six five zero one zero two and then the toll free number one eight hundred five two five zero one zero two. Are toll-free numbers really necessary anymore? Who's paying long distance charges? You know what I mean? Two one zero, I mean that's a toll free for me. I just call it from my cell phone and that's the way that it goes. Well, this is the way that it's gone today on this edition, the Thursday edition of the morning briefing so far, and it's not done yet. Oh, no, my friends. Joe Schinelli, executive director of AMVETS, our regular Thursday VSO guest, he's going to be calling him via phone and telling us what's going on in the world of AMVETS. Looking forward to talking to my old Defense Information School classmate and Marine Corps veteran Joe in just a couple of minutes. The morning briefing will be back right after this. Welcome back to the morning briefing from Entracom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is what we do, and you know where we're doing it right there in the title connectingbets.com and also on social media. We are at Connecting on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Give us a follow on those and uh, particularly on Facebook and Twitter, you're going to get links to the latest articles that have gone up on the website, the latest videos that we've done, the latest latest you know everything that we're doing is going out through social media including the facebook live segment of this very program every morning at 7 15 a.m you can join in on the conversation or just sit there and look at my pretty face like joe chinelli the executive director of Amvets, was doing this morning as he sits preparing to go into jury duty so he's not in studio with us today good morning joe how are things going
3: Never better, Eric. Good morning. How are you?
0: I'm doing all right, and now I know. I got a question you on that one. Never better? You're about to go sit down for jury duty, which could take five, six hours, and then also mean nothing. They could just release you after those five or six hours. Are you really never better than you ever have been before, Joe?
3: Oh, sure. I like watching murder mysteries and things. I'm hoping to see one in person today and get paid for it.
1: No, no. It's
0: going to be about some crazy person who knocked over like a parking meter to steal the quarters. That's what it's going to be. Do people even use quarters on parking meters anymore? I don't know. I do know that AmVets is doing a lot of great things for the veteran community. And I'm sure a lot of people saw this on social media. I know I did because he's a previous guest of the show. Uh, Chris Goldsmith I'm talking about, who works uh, with a number of organizations, including Vietnam Veterans of America. And he's made it kind of his personal mission over the last year. Plus to go after some of these Facebook pages in particular that are created to look like they're veterans organizations, but actually aren't. Joe, what can you tell us about, uh, you know, AmVet's thoughts on what uh, Chris has been doing with that and how big of an issue this really is?
3: Sure. So we've, we've been uh, tracking this with Chris for more than a year now. We've been working with him on it a little bit uh, over the past several months. Uh, really important stuff, what well, he's finding out, and Oxford University actually... Uh, Found this out through a study they did last year in 2017, that there are Russian hackers bots, if you will, that are out there that have created dozens of Facebook pages and Twitter accounts that are specifically targeting active duty military reservists and veterans um, to with misinformation uh, about uh, political positions for candidates about things that are actually happening or not happening, as the case may be uh, in the political world or in, in news in general, uh, believe that they're doing this to try to target morale, to try to uh, interfere with elections, to try to make the military more divided, which would make us all less effective. Um, uh, as you said, Chris and VVA, uh, which uh, a great partner organization of ours, we love working with them, uh, they have reported more than two dozen uh, pages that have more than 200,000 followers uh, that they've been able to get removed from Facebook. Um, but at this point, we, we think this is bigger than Facebook, or bigger than Twitter, bigger than those companies, if you will. Uh, and we, we really believe that DOD and the VA need to step in and need to use um, some higher level uh, technology and law enforcement to stop this uh, as it continues to get more serious.
0: It's a very fascinating thing, and it's being used by all types of different organizations. It's being used by people who are for the current administration, against the current administration, our allies, our enemies. There's it's It's kind of fascinating what's going on in social media, which is kind of this new frontier. Have you seen any direct uh, examples of this, particularly when it comes to AMVETS? Anyone trying to pretend like they're representing AMVETS or another VSO like that?
3: So we haven't seen them really trying to represent AMVETS so much. Uh, We've seen them trying to represent generic kind of uh, creating their own veterans organizations or groups, things like that, Um, trying to look like legitimate media uh, you know, one of the biggest problems with with social media, and the reason they've got those blue check marks there, is because sometimes it's really hard to decipher what is a legitimate media source and what's not. And so, when you get these pages, and you, you kind of play on. Keywords, and you can do your your homework on the back end to see what people are searching for and what people like, and you start creating that, and you you start drawing them in with the entertainment side, and then start spreading the misinformation. Um, and vets, of course, you know the, the longer form of the full name is American Veterans, which is a, a somewhat generic name, two two words that are in a, you know most everyone's vocabulary out there, and, and so we do see a lot of things that pop up that say things close to it, uh, you know, DAV, had, Disabled American Veterans, has the same type of problem, the challenge, if you will. and So, so we are out there all the time trying to make sure people are not uh, impersonating us because we want to be able to continue to be seen as legitimate and reliable source for veterans' news. Uh, you know, that's why we come on to, to your show. You know, we appreciate that because that, that really helps People understand who is legitimate and who's not. And that's really the the main way that we as in the veteran's community can counter these uh, these psyops, if you will.
0: What can people do to try and figure out what's real and what's not? I mean, do they need to, like, tweet at Chris Goldsmith directly to ask those kinds of questions? Or are there any recommendations that you would make as far as, uh, you know, red flags to watch out for out there?
3: Sure. So the, the big thing is if you see something that... Looks questionable. Make verify. There's nothing out there that only one news source is going to be reporting anymore. Even if even if one news source gets the scoop, uh, several other news sources will will verify it and report it themselves as well. So if you're seeing something that's only on one page or you can't find it in any legitimate news source, if you can't find it in connect, ConnectingVets.com or on uh, the Washington Post or something like that, then uh, don't believe it until you can verify. So don't share it. I think it's
0: key. <laughs> That's some pretty good advice. Again, if you if you are not certain of the website. And it's happened to me before. You know, I worked in a newsroom in New York City where we'd I'd, I'd be looking for something and find like, oh, here's a picture of the person. Here's a quote from the person. Here's some information. Then I'd look at the website and be like, what in the heck is this website? And oftentimes you can actually look up that website and try to find out exactly what it is. Sometimes it'll tell you if it's a if it's a parody site or if it's, a, you know, a, just a fake news site, essentially one of those different things that are out there. So always take that extra step. If something doesn't seem quite right or seems too good to be true because it perfectly lines up with everything you think, uh, maybe go ahead and take a look at that. Speaking of news, there's a new poll released by the Military Times. It's pretty interesting. Uh, The president, while there are some people in this country who certainly do not care for him and some people in this country who do, he enjoys uh, a larger amount of support than the general public within the military. That's according to a Military Times poll from last year. They've got a new one out. Uh, what did that poll tell you, Joe Schinelli, from Amvets?
3: So a few things. One, uh, to jump right back into the last topic we were discussing here, it shows that maybe um, maybe uh, the Russians are, are winning in their uh, in their information warfare here because our active duty military feels more more polarized than they have in the past. Um, support for the president has waned a bit. Um, uh, that's not atypical though. Um, one of the, the biggest fears that troops have, and I don't know if fears maybe not the right word. It w- was a word that's been used in some of the reporting around these polls, but they're, they're very concerned that there may be another large scale war on the horizon. Um, and because of the way foreign relations are going and, and uh, because of the trade wars and things like that. Um, Found that um, still active duty military and veterans vote, but at a much higher percentage than non military and non veterans, which is again why they're being targeted, um, in part, why they're being targeted by uh, some bad actors out there. Um, they're still um, looking to vote uh, largely Republican uh, in the upcoming election. Um, 60, almost 65% do plan to vote, and um, almost almost three-quarters of active duty service members believe that this midterm election will have a noticeable difference um, among the officer corps uh, across all the services. Almost 90% uh, see this as a pivotal election uh, when it comes to the armed services and how they'll be funded and how they will be directed in policy. Um, Very interesting. Uh, Women uh, service members are um, seemingly planning to support Democrat candidates in their local jurisdictions uh, a lot more well. Um, Males uh, seem to be um, prepared. Uh, Almost 50% will be supporting uh, Republicans, according to the poll. Uh, Really interesting stuff. Uh, Libertarians also have have grown quite a bit in the military, Um, and it's not real clear if that's actually Libertarian, or if they're looking for a third party, Uh, and some of the follow-up voting or some of the follow-up polling, it looked like a lot of them are just simply looking for a third party, Um, and a lot of moderates in the military. I would say that's probably the biggest takeaway if you look at Republicans or Democrats, while most seem to be planning to vote for Republican uh, in a couple weeks most of them actually see themselves as moderates or even nonpartisans.
0: It is interesting. I think that there is a, uh, a perception that I think is probably uh, more of a reality that the military does skew conservative, uh, that there is a majority conservative leaning in the military. I have various reasons for thinking that, including what I witnessed during 13 years serving. But it's certainly not everybody. I mean, we just had uh, Will Fisher from VoteVets uh, in studio here recently, and that's more of a left-wing organization. It's kind of interesting that it's surprising to so many people that veterans – do fall on so many uh, parts of the political spectrum. I mean, how do you think it is that the, or why do you think it is that the civilians seem to be so surprised about what veterans actually think and what military members actually think when polls like this come out?
3: Um, I think there's a lot of stereotypes out there. Um, that they are hard uh, core one way or the other, or that they're very partisan in general because of uh, things like uh, gun control or, um, national defense but i think what this all really shows is that veterans and military really pay attention and they're much more uh aware of their uh, of their civic responsibilities uh, and they understand the value of that vote that they have and you know it's just one vote per person but it it really can make a difference and i think the, the military whether it's because they've Sacrificed for the right to, for that vote, for democracy in general, then, but whatever it is, uh, it, it's clear that um, the nation should be paying attention to the, what the military thinks, and that includes the veterans community, just because that community is, is paying attention to what these candidates are, are saying and doing.
0: You know, for those who think that the military is filled with extremists on one side or the other, that's absolutely not true. And there's a reason that those people like, say, Spencer Rapone, the West Point commie or that uh, disgraced Marine who was down at the Charlottesville thing uh, beating people up down there. uh, There's a reason that makes the news, and it's because it's not very common. We're speaking with Joe Schinelli, former, or sorry, Marine Corps veteran. I was going to say former Marine, and I know you guys get a little touchy about that stuff. (laughs) Marine Corps veteran and current executive director of AMVETS about a number of things, including a recently published study called Unhealthy and Unprepared, which concludes that America has a rising number of overweight youth. Yeah, my eyes confirmed that as well. And that it'll have real impacts on the military's ability to maintain effectiveness. So what do we do here, Joe? I mean, is it about a draft, and how's a draft going to help things if you're just drafting in a bunch of fatties who can't run a mile and a half?
3: Well, I think a lot of people who don't look deep into that, and they think well, draft or compulsory service where everybody has to serve in the military, uh, as other countries, such as Israel, do right now. There, there's a lot of value in that as well. But, um, I, I can see serving, but we know from, especially from the Vietnam War era, that The draft brings people into the military who do not want to be there, and morale goes down, readiness goes down. Uh, One of the many reasons I think we have the best military in the world is because we are the largest all-volunteer force out there. Everyone who's there wants to be there. But the the problem is that the number of people who want to be there is going down, and uh, among people who want to be there that people who are actually qualified uh, and who are eligible to go has gone way down and the the biggest reason by far is obesity among America's youth Um, about 30% a third of those who want to join the military actually cannot because of their weight or because of already things that are happening in their health because of that um, we also have a high number of youth who um, are having other illnesses, um, injuries, um, things like that. They can also disqualify them. And then there's a lot of legal issues and substance abuse issues as well. Um, and we do not believe that the military should lower their standards. Um, and it's interesting. You know, the Army has looked at that because the Army is missing all their recruiting goals now. They've looked at re- it say, so you know what, maybe we can uh, bring someone in uh, who's a little bit heavier. Maybe they're not quite within our height and weight standards right now. But when they f- do that, they find that those people become much more likely to be injured yeah. uh, in basic training or early on in their t- enlistment. Or, um, and then, you know, the military invests a lot of money into training these people, so you, start, you waste that. Uh, you have boat spaces now that are being wasted And, of course, you've got to take care of them uh, for the rest of their lives. They become a service-connected disabled veteran if they're injured in boot camp or basic training. If that's because they came in below the physical standards, uh, that that can't happen. So it's a a national epidemic. It's something that we've been talking about as a country for about the last 15 years now. We're going to have to continue to do that. Um, But AMVETS believes this is another... Reason why uh, our Americanism program and you know, patriotism in general is something that we as a nation need to continue pushing forward is, you know, we talked about it on the show plenty of times. Um, this is one of the reasons why we have made some investments to um, let people know standing for the national anthem is the right thing to do. Um, that other things along those lines showing patriotism, why, why we could support the idea of having a National Veterans Day parade next year, uh, why we see that could be a benefit. Uh, We need to really be thinking about ways to impress upon the nation's youth that this country is worth fighting for and that the military is a a great option uh, for young people.
0: Yeah, and actually wearing a uniform can be uh, a little bit more fulfilling personally than pretending to wear one on a video game Uh, while I enjoy those (laughs) video games. You know the the real thing is something a little bit different that can really help you in a lot of ways. And you know when we talk about this, it makes me think of uh, of something I heard Tim Kennedy say. Not when we talked to him on the show, uh, we were talking about his TV show on Discovery, but when he was on Joe Rogan, and Rogan asked him, you know, why is the Army letting you do this? You're still a green beret, you're still serving, but they're letting you do this crazy TV show where you could be seriously injured or killed. And he told him that part of the reason, or the main reason, I think the Army's more okay with it, is the recruiting. They need the help because not just for uh, the regular Army, but when you think about how few qualify for regular uh, Army, regular Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, then think about the special forces and special operations aspect. You've got fewer to draw from for that, which means already small communities are struggling to find people who can meet their qualifications. So it it really is a big problem top to bottom in all of the services that could have some far-reaching effects in the near future, don't you think?
3: Absolutely, there's, there's no doubt about it, and I think the the crisis level for our recruiting is much closer than the American public realizes. Um, just spoke with the head of recruiting for the Army uh, at the AUSA conference in Washington uh, about a week and a half ago, and they said they're almost there. You know, they're they're missing every every indicator out there of a crisis looming is hitting and hitting strong right now. And it's, it's, a, it's a scary proposition when you really think about what it could mean to our national defense and you know, our military readiness.
0: It absolutely is. And as someone who worked in recruiting as a public affairs guy for a couple of years, this was back in 2005 to 2008, I know how difficult it was then because of medical, dental, all the other different things that people would fail for. The fact that it's gotten significantly worse since then, I, that, that that is uh, boy knowing what I know about how difficult recruiting was 10 years ago I can't imagine what it's like today. Of right. course, and vets, they're not really in the business of recruiting. They would love you to join their organization, but they're in the business of helping veterans above all else. And next week, you guys are going to be in Phoenix, and you're going to have another one of your Healing American Veterans Town Hall. So tell me what you expect from this next event out in Phoenix, which is, of course, the epicenter of the VA scandal when that broke uh, years back.
3: Sure, back, yeah, Beck. Uh, back in 2014, um something that a lot of veterans knew was happening I really became uh, a matter of public uh, awareness and what was going on of course was Phoenix had secret wait list that their VA um, hospital out there and um, this was basically uh, the, the head of the hospital itself was allowing um, people not to be kept on the books that were reported back to Washington, so they didn't know how many people were actually coming in to their hospital. And so the, the hospital was continually underfunded. Uh, veterans were actually dying on that wait list, waiting to be seen. Um, and so that really created or we really then realized how serious the access crisis was, access to VA healthcare. And from that, we have – came out with choice and now with community care. And so we have a lot more veterans who are able to receive care in the community when their VA, their closest VA isn't able to see them or if they don't have one close by. Um, so um, uh, about a month ago, um, the latest ratings came out, and um, every VA medical center in the country is rated on a one- through five-star um, And as we talked about on the show, Phoenix is still a one-star. And we're really disappointed to hear that because pretty much every dignitary there is and the government has been out to this hospital, has has been there, has been talking to the the administrators, the executives who run that hospital. So we want to go out there, and we're going to be out there next Thursday uh, on October 25th from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m., local time in Arizona and Phoenix, and we will be having a Veterans Town Hall. We'd like any veteran who's out there, or if you're a caregiver, or if you're an advocate for veterans, um, come out. We're going to be talking for about two hours. It's really just a listening session. That's what we do at these um, town halls. We listen to those who are most impacted. We would like to hear directly from those who receive their care from there or loved ones who receive their care. We want to hear what their impression is of the VA in Phoenix. We want to know what's going wrong. We want to know what's going right, where they can improve. And what we do is we and we, we have our, our team of experts out there, they're licensed practitioners, and um, they will be listening, taking very careful notes and uh, asking some key questions to make sure we fully understand what we're being told. And then we will make a a a comprehensive report. We'll also be talking with the hospital itself and with caregivers and with the medical providers. And we're gonna make a very comprehensive report and we're gonna give that back to the VA, but we also give it to Congress. Um, So Congress can provide the proper oversight, but we're gonna give it to the VA and we're gonna ask for a specific action plan to make sure that they're addressing what's happening out there. We've done this in a few other places, uh, including Nashville, which has two, a one-star and a two-star facility within the area. And uh, we've had some really terrific feedback on that. We just did one in Orlando as well. Um, so we're we're out there. We, we need to hear from veterans. It's the only way this thing's going to get better. And uh, so that's why we're we're sending the team out there next Thursday.
0: It's kind of shocking that the place where the scandal broke and then the VA medical center that is closest to the actual department of the VA in D.C., these two places just continue to have issues. The one that should be the crown jewel of the VA system, as it's just down the street from VA headquarters, and then the one where uh, the biggest black eye in the history of the VA occurred, they're still having these issues. And, uh, you know, some something's got to be done about it. I know they've thrown money at it. and I know they've thrown a lot of things at it. They've got to figure out what the issue is. And get this fixed because the veterans in all 50 states and all metro areas deserve the same level of care. And in some places, they're just not getting it. They're not getting the same level of care. They're not getting the same level of customer service. And it's absolutely unacceptable. And that's one of those things that AMVETS works to address. So, Joe, if people want to find out more about that uh, town hall that you guys are hosting, if they're interested in going to it, finding out more about it, where do they go to do that? And also, where do they go to learn more about AMVETS in general? Um, yeah,
3: please stop by, see uh, us online at ambets.org, it's A-M-V-E-T-S dot O-R-G. We're on all the social media platforms as well at, at ambetshq. Uh, we'll be Facebook-living um, a portion of the town hall. So if you can't get to Phoenix, we still want you to tune in. We'll be uh, taking some questions online as well. Uh, we'll we're on Twitter as well, uh, at hashtag Heal American Veterans.
0: We've been speaking with Joe Schinelli, Executive Director of AMVETS. Joe, one last question as we have one last minute. Why do you think it's important that people join their VSOs like AMVETS? Why do you think that a veteran out there who hasn't decided to join any of the VSOs yet should find at least one to take part in being a member of?
3: Sure. So it's not what these organizations, not what AMVETS can do for you, but it's what you can do for your fellow veterans. And by by joining an organization, uh, it's sort of like a union for veterans except we don't have official time here uh so this is we're out there fighting for veterans every day and we need your help to, to continue to do that
0: joe Chanelli, executive director of amvets and marine corps veteran as always thank you for joining us on the morning briefing brother we appreciate
3: it thank you eric take care
0: You've been listening to the Morning Briefing Thursday edition here on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. I'm your host, Eric Damon. But on behalf of our team, please check us out at ConnectingBets on social media, the website itself, ConnectingBets.com, All that good stuff, all there for you. We will see you again on Monday. No Friday show as I'll be out of the office. Have a great weekend. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician.